0: Hello, good evening, and welcome to Seascapes. On tonight's programme, the Cruising Association of Ireland, the maritime history of Blacksod in County Mayo, and we have some nautical Nuggets from the early RTE archives. recent Irish Sailing Awards named John Leahy of Dunleary as Volunteer of the Year for his work during the pandemic with the Cruising Association of Ireland. John won out over many nominees for his mostly online work in keeping the CII active throughout the year through Zoom meetings mostly. I congratulated John on his award and the fact that he won out over so many other people.
1: Thank you, Fergal. Very kind of you. Yes, um, I I didn't know that, actually, because all I got was a a, a notice to be available for a Zoom call about a week before the award ceremony, and and I I didn't even know I was up for the award ceremony, but I said, okay. So this this gentleman came on the the Zoom, and he said, hello, and uh, he said, I'd like to record you, and I said, okay. And he said, "Uh, you you know what this is about? I said, not really. I think there's an award ceremony, isn't there? And he said, yeah, it's to do with Volunteer of the Year for the Irish Sailing I said, OK, I didn't know I was even uh, in the running for such a thing. But anyway, I said, um, if you want to record it, it's fine. And um, he said, yes, now you've won it. I have to tell you that now. And I said, what? I didn't even know I was in it. <laughs> I mind. win it. Oh, yes, he said, yeah, but I have to tell you now because you, we've got to record it in advance, you see, for the actual program on the night because obviously, you know, you're meant to be surprised on the night. So I said, OK. So he said, well, you have one, so we'll take it that you know that, and we'll take the interview from there, you see. So that's how I, that's how I found out about five days ahead of the actual uh, awards ceremony. And yeah. I didn't, at that stage, know what the awards ceremony was about, to be honest. So I had to go and look it up to find out.
0: You're, you're with the Cruising Association of Ireland. Just, let's just yeah. talk, tell me something about that organisation.
1: Well, um, yeah, about 2003... Um, most of the art clubs around Dublin Bay and up and down the coast and around the coast of Ireland have, have racing going on, you know, and they have a very active racing clubs, but the cruising tends to be a solitary affair. You know, you might have three or four cruisers in a boat, in a club, like the National Yacht Club or the Irish uh, Royal Irish Yacht Club, and they would be, tend to be a bit, a bit lonely. They, they cruise off on their own or they might go in pairs, but generally speaking, it's a solitary occupation. But it's much nicer to cruise in company and much safer, so... In 2003, uh, a group of gentlemen from Hoth Yacht Club in the main, but also Malahide and Dunnery, got together in Hoth Yacht Club and they formed a thing called the Cruising Association of Ireland, the objective of which was to get family sailors. Now, this wouldn't be rich people. It would be people with smaller boats and dogs and family and children, but smaller boats, um, probably in in the range of 25 feet up to, say, 45 feet um, who perhaps wouldn't have as much experience to get together so that they could cruise in, in comfort and share their experiences and experience, an experience uh, afloat, you know. So that, for example, on every cruise, you'd have people who are very experienced who would be able to help the novice sailor to, to go cruising much further than they would have done had they been left to their own devices, you know.
0: What kind of trips have you been holding over the last few years?
1: Well, since I joined it in 2006, which is about three years after it, it, it was started. And um, uh, I'd already run the cruising club in the National uh, ten years earlier than that. And that had been quite successful, where we had about ten boats. And um, so when I took it over, I, I had a bit of experience about cruising. The first one we did, funny enough, was in 2006, was to... Um, to around the Menai Straits, uh, in, around Anglesey, which is actually a very fearsome place to set to cruise because <clears throat> it's got a lot of very strong tides and it's quite, quite. Um, people are very nervous about going around the Menai Straits because of its its reputation, but actually, if you know what you're doing, it's perfectly feasible and very enjoyable. Um, in fact, it's delightful. So um,
0: it, it's also not too far if you left Dublin. Oh, you're, it's you're, it's you're, an you're trip. It's
1: only, actually Holyhead is only a nine-hour sail from here. And once you're in Hoddyhead, you're on Anglesey, and then it's a very quick run round into the Menai Straits. And, of course, once you're in the Menai Straits, you've got perfect shelter, which is unusual <clears throat> in these waters, because on the east coast of Ireland, we're very exposed to easterly winds, of course. <clears throat> but in the Menai, you're totally sheltered from the east and from the west. So, anyway, we, we set off with 25 boats on that particular cruise, which was remarkable. I mean, no, that number of boats has probably not, rarely left on there you know, that number. And we went all the way around the Benai Straits in about 10 days. And uh, we went down to uh, down to the Klein Peninsula and then back by Arklow. So it was a, we were very lucky. We had great weather and we had a very nice number of boats. And it was hugely successful. And from there on, the CAI, the Cruising Association, took off, you know. And we, we grew, we've grown the membership. Well, the, the story really is that we had about 120 members consistently over the last 15 years. And then... When COVID came along, you know, it looked like we'd have to close the doors for a year, you know, we could see that um, last, last year, that 2020 was going to be a very tough year. In fact, a lot of cruising clubs did close down. But we took the decision not to close down to try and actually get really lively if we could. So the first thing we did was to open up Zoom and you probably want to ask me how that worked in a minute but that was really the the starting point for last year, yeah.
0: I've watched some of your Zoom meetings which have been very, very slick. Not like some of the others I and most of our listeners have been involved in which can be a comedy of (laughs) errors.
1: Well... Yeah, I had a bit of experience with Zoom, not only a week or two, mind you, but uh, I'd already run Zoom for another group. And yes, the comedy of errors for the first week or two, anything that could go wrong would go wrong with Zoom. We always say if it's not a Zoom meeting if something doesn't go wrong. And even today, we still say that, by the way, but there's always something that will catch you out. But yeah, yeah, once you've learned the basics, and it, I'm very good with computers. It's what I've done all of my life. I kind of know my way around computers, so I didn't have to learn that part. All I had to learn was Zoom. And I actually did a seminar on it. You know, a, a one-hour seminar online, how to do it.
0: Okay, and so then, a few, John, a, a basic yeah. question on that: when you're running a Zoom meeting like that, are you controlling everything, or do you have a co-presenter, or do you let anybody else do anything?
1: No, we are we, absolutely right. Every Zoom meeting I run, and I, I run various ones now. We always have the presenter who doesn't have to worry about too much about what's going on in the background. They just do the, the if you like, the front of house. And, and then you've got behind him, you have the back of house, the people who are on the Zoom. You might have one or two helpers who are actually doing the technical side to make sure their meeting runs smoothly and that people are muted. And if, if a dog starts barking, that somebody shuts the dog up, you know, this kind of thing. So, yeah, there's a lot of action going on in the background, which the, which the viewer doesn't actually see. You know, that's all they see is the presenter who is awfully smooth and calm. But the presenter doesn't have to worry about the technical side. And that's very important with Zoom, because if you try to do the two, you won't succeed. You know, you really can't run a You can't run a Zoom meeting and present at the same time, really.
0: Now, you've been running these almost on a weekly basis since last year, and you've had some really spectacular ones. We've actually had one or two guests on the programme after they've given uh, talks to you.
1: Um, yes, well, um, we, you know, we've, we've had a lot of people to draw on. You know, we, we, we know a lot of, we have 150, well, when we started the, the season last year, we had 130 members. Um, by the end of our season, this is last year during COVID, we, we grew the membership from 130 to 160. And today I looked again and we have 178 members to this morning. So we've grown from 130 on March last year to 178 now, which is a fantastic achievement at a time of lockdown when many clubs have been scratching around for that to even, to even keep their membership stable. And many clubs have lost members for obvious reasons. You know, there's nothing going on. So it's the Zoom that's kept us alive, funny enough, because the weekly meeting means that we haven't lost touch with our membership. And the membership love the Tuesday night meeting. And we, we alternate uh, between every Tuesday we have a talk. But on, on the first Tuesday of the month, it's, it's a chat. So the members just get online and we all chat you know, about whatever whatever the subject happens to be that day. Usually nautical, but we talk. And the following week, we have a, a speaker talk. And uh, so we alternate the two. And then, so every second week, we have either a speaker, who would be somebody of great interest, perhaps like Pat Murphy, who's talking uh, next week about the restoration and conservation of the Asgard, okay. and uh, also the gun running into Hoth, you know, with the guns. So that's a fantastic talk. Uh, that's next week. But we always have somebody of that calibre, you know, somebody really, really good on on maritime subjects. And they alternate with the with the chat nights, you know. So we, we've got that going now every night, except in June and July when we went sailing last year.
0: Last year, you also had a, a talk from one of your members who had sailed his boat up in through Scandinavia.
1: Char, Charlie Kavanagh, yeah. who is a yacht master instructor, yeah, with the Irish Sailing. Um, it was an Char-
0: extraordinary trip. He sailed from Ireland, but took to the canals in Holland.
1: He went through the Kiel Canal, yeah, he went through the Dutch canals and then into the Kiel Canal and through into the Baltic. And it's quite an interesting story because he did this pretty much on his own with very little help. One or two crews joined him at times, you know. Uh, they flew into Holland and joined him. And he ended up in, 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 in Stockholm. In, um, he went up the canal from Stockholm right into the middle of Sweden to Lake, Lake Lagarde, I think it's called, A Lagonda or Lagarde, anyway... Um, this lake in the middle of Sweden and, and his boat is then stuck there for the last two years because with COVID he, qu- he couldn't get the boat back and he's still hoping to get there this year to recover his boat which has suffered two winters in the ice now you know um, so um, that he, he's hoping to, um, to get her back in about a month or two but there's no certainty about that because uh, we, we have no idea when, when the travel will resume between here and Sweden.
0: In, in the cruising association where else have you gone besides Anglesey and the UK?
1: Well because we try to represent the less experienced sailor, you know, as, as opposed to the Irish Cruising Club, which is our sister club, not, not a sister club, it's another cruising club, but it, we, we know them very well, I'm a member of both for example. But the Irish Cruising Club would be much more adventurous and big, tend to be bigger boats, well-crewed, experienced crew. They were, many of our members in the ICC, the Irish Cruising Club, have gone to Antarctica and the, the, the Arctic Circle, Spitsbergen, and Greenland, you know, that kind of stuff. Whereas we don't do that. What we do is we keep our cruises to Irish and, and UK waters. So we've been as far north as the Hebrides and we've been as far south as France. We, we've done the city islands. We, we do West Cork would be a very familiar destination. And, of course, Northern Ireland and round to, round to Derry and across to the islands of Scotland, you know. And, of course, not forgetting the Menai, which we've done probably four times now. You know, it's a great place to go every three years. Um, lovely, lovely waters. We're very underestimated and, and overestimated for its difficulty and underestimated for its beauty.
0: When you have those Zoom meetings on those trips that people might have taken, do you have to be a member of the CIA to listen in?
1: Well, we're not strict about that because we work on a process of attraction. So we often let people into our into our meetings and even some of our events. Uh, if they're not members, because we reckon that once they've seen what we do, they join, and and they do. <laughs> One of the reasons they join is it's it's not expensive. It's 30 euros, which is about the as cheapest as you can get it for anything these days. You know, it's the price of four pints, isn't it? All we have to do is run our Zoom and, and our, our various events, and run our our website is probably our biggest expense.
0: What what is the website? Just in case people want to watch in on any of your it's um,
1: very simple actually. It's just www as always, but it's cruising.ie, and that's it. Cruising.ie And when you click into cruising.ie, you have a menu, and one of which is Join Us. And when you click on that, you're into it, you can join in less than a minute. It's very, very simple.
0: John Leahy. With the help of Rob Canning in RTE Radio Archives over the last year, we've unearthed some gems of recordings from the early days of RTE. Tonight, I have another piece for you. It dates from 1960 and from a programme called In the City. It's a report on motorboat racing on the River Liffey, and the reporter is Michael Barry.
2: This is The Voice of Dublin. John Ross brings you the news and the background to the news of today and tomorrow in the city.
3: The boat show, organised by the Irish Dinky Club to sponsor an Olympic team for foreign parts this year, ended on the Liffey and in the bus station on Saturday. Michael Barry was out on the river for the final events. Everyone in Dublin must have seen this water show in the last seven nights. But for the benefit of the man with the broken leg in Dunny Kearney, we should report that it had plenty of noise, enough carbon monoxide to lift an airship, and enough excitement to make your, you flip your wig twice nightly everything that floats and sinks was out, from the turboprop speedboats to skin divers. The only thing I didn't see was water wings and the only thing I didn't hear was nearly everything that was said to me. The Liffey seemed to be one continuous bow wave. I'd been given an observer station on Noel Judd's launch and holding on with both hands I felt like the polar bears must feel in their pit in the zoo on Sundays. A thousand people looking down while you do your little act. When the speedboats had finished for the day with the finals, I had a talk with the winner of the Thompson Trophy, Mike Heather. We're now with uh, Mike Heather, who's just been literally tearing the waters of the Liffey apart here. Uh, Mr. Heather, what speed do you reckon you got there at tops?
2: Well, the water was very, very rough. I I imagine if we were getting 36, we were doing very, very well. Yeah, you
3: you certainly look as if you were flying anyway.
2: Well, if it was a little calmer, perhaps we'd have got maybe up to the 40, but I don't think so, and the water was so cut up.
3: Well, it's, it's been a pretty good day for you, anyway.
2: Yes, we're very pleased with the result.
3: But what, what kind of craft is yours, by the way?
2: It's a Pencraft uh, for a sportsman, with a mercury engine, and um, this boat is built by the man who won the Din Graphic, I think, the Graphic. Uh, Competition on the BBC yeah. television for the man who wants to get ahead won 5,000 pounds. Yes. It's his boat, actually. He built this boat. Well, that's very interesting. So he'd be pleased to hear that she's done so well.
3: Well, have you been on the go all week? Have you? Have you been sort well, of. We've
2: been here practically every night. We've been played with mechanical trouble the last two nights, but we just managed to get everything going at the right time. Uh, this uh, this is not your first success, though, this week. Uh, well, we won a heat the other night, but. Uh, well, that's, that was nothing compared to this uh-huh.
3: well is it would it be safe to say it's all over for you now this is your last race or are you, are you going back again
2: well for this for this time now but there'll be a lot of other races in the summer there'll be one in Hoth in August weekend and quite all over the place so we'll be at the lot I hope
3: well it's been a big week, a week anyway for the boating crowd and uh, I'm sure that after the Liffey now they'll all be going out with the open sea that's
2: true as far as possible. it's been a great success the first boat show and it's pulled it off very very well I think
3: well, it's over to the boat show now to have a look at the craft for me anyway, so best of luck to you. And later that night at Basaras where the boat show was coming to an end, I spoke to Douglas Hurd, who is the chairman of the Irish Dinghy Racers Association. This has been a pretty big week for you and for your organisation. How do things go? Well, we are delighted with the way
4: the show has gone. All our help has been voluntary. All our workers have worked splendidly the whole time and as a result we have exceeded in a large measure our expectations. In fact we believe that we have actually reached our target of 2,000 pounds towards the expenses of the Irish team, the Irish sailing team who will be entered in the Olympic Games to be held at Naples in August next. This time, we hope to send three separate teams to the Games, whereas in the past, the best we have managed has been only two. Well, this is going to be a, a bumper year in more, more than one sense. We think so and hope so. Mm. And we, not only that, but we certainly hope that with all the excellent preparations which we are making, that we should manage to bring back a medal to Ireland.
0: Were well, those days in 1960 when people could still get out and about. And we actually have a few more pieces like that which we'll bring you over the coming months. To the west of Ireland now, and in Blacksod in County Mayo, a group of local people have combined their talents and formed a production or entertainment company which is designed to bring their local maritime history to life in the community. Joanna MacNicholas went along to meet them.
5: ...along the Earth's coastline at various locations are the remains of World War II II-era lookout posts. The men who manned them would watch the skies for passing aircraft, both Allied and German. They also monitored the sea for passing convoys and battleships.
3: That's an audio clip from one of the productions by the Black Sod Bay 1866 Company. I visited the shores of Black Sod Bay to meet the people involved with the project, and to hear a little bit more about what they do.
5: My name is Fergus Sweeney, and I'm the uh, the founder of the Black Sod Bay 1866 Company.
3: Can you tell us a little bit about the company?
5: The Blacksod Bay 1866 company is, a, I suppose, a historical, cultural kind of media production company, entertainment company. Um, we, we say historical, uh, we have a, a huge emphasis on the marine historical aspect of things. Um, we will tackle anything historical from around the shores of Blacksod, but we do like to put an emphasis on the marine and our marine connections. Can you give us a brief rundown of some of the history that's in this area? Yeah, well, I, I guess the history on Blacksod Bay and the shores of it, it's quite a, a large area and, you, you know, you go from the village of Blacksod all the way around into Dugart and Ackle, technically, and I suppose to start off, our history goes right back, you know, to five, 6,000 years ago, they didn't travel by land, you know, you can picture people in animal skin coracles and quite of our old, um, the records and what we know of old chieftains in the area, chieftains like, you know, the chieftain dove who, who hails from Dovlon, the island just. West of us here, um, Chieftain Glura, and his home base would have been on Inish Glura, you know. And we know that these people existed. They are captured in, in kind of ancient scriptures and things from the area. We have Ballycroy and Duna Castle, you know, we've Grona Whale, it's one of her castles. She would have travelled here and indeed Gronya referred to Black Sod Bay as her beautiful Blacksod Bay. You know, and the bay has been really significant to these characters in history. So when, when we see all this, we see a kind of an area that once was rich with its history. Um, always popping up in these world affairs you know the D-Day weather forecast is sent from the bay here uh, Tom McLean the first man to single handedly rode the Atlantic he lands here the British always preferred Blacksod Bay over any other bay on the west coast for a place of anchorage you know um, in the late 1800s the Young Irishmen's Rebellion, I believe it is, you know, they're kind of viewing Black Blacksod Bay and those areas as good areas for possibly Americans to come here. And right up till after the end of the American Civil War, they send a gunboat over from America with secret arms, and their first sight of land is Black Rock Lighthouse off the Irish coast, you know. So it has this rich history, this rich culture, and uh, yeah, it's all there to be found.
3: Your family has a long association with the lighthouse here in Blacksod. that inspire you to
5: set up the company? Uh, My grandfather was the lighthouse keeper here since 1933 uh, and his three sons Ted, George and Vincent they all followed him uh, into the lighthouse service both George and Vincent became lighthouse keepers and his uh, eldest son Ted was a, a ship's engineer on board the Irish lights shipping vessels so there's a huge family connection with the lighthouses and kind of shipping and everything maritime in the family possibly being the son of a lighthouse keeper you grow up thinking that you too will eventually become a lighthouse keeper and then of course the lighthouse has become automated so you suddenly find yourself not able to pursue that career so the next best thing for me I suppose is is to try and keep the, the history and the memory of the Lighthouse Service, but not just the Lighthouse Service, the kind of maritime history and culture that once thrived here on the shores of Black Sod Bay. Um, Black Sod has changed over the centuries. It's not as busy as it used to be, um, but I think what used to be here fascinates people. Uh, and even though it's gone, it's still part of who we are, it's part of our culture and our makeup. So, yeah, it, it, it allows me to stay here and immerse myself in this marine world. And the end game is that we would have a a maritime marine cultural centre here in Blacksod where we're based and where we can kind of provide those talks in our own setting. But also be here as an open space for people to come learn a little bit more about that kind of history and culture. And also a space that's open to the arts and to the culture with that maritime twist. It's, it's a dream right now, but we're, we're on the very early stages of it. And so to think that maybe with our end plan, an open house to the public with, with our presentations and with our show and kind of bring something which is cutting edge, media driven, but also has a real physical presence and space and has something really tangible for visitors when they come. I'm Keith MacDonald from Balmola Town. My role in the company is I'm an actor and presenter and hopefully I'll help write the scripts.
3: And have you lived all your life here? Are you a native of this area?
5: I'm from Belmullet town all my life, but I've done some traveling, but I love it around here and I've seen some of the world and there's not much better place than this.
4: (laughs) So you're glad to be back in Belmullet
5: again? Uh, It's a great place, Belmullet. I love it.
4: My name is Ferdelma Darcy. Um, I live in Belmullet. I come originally from Cairawhaig, or Cairawhaig. It's a Gaelic area in the northwest of Mayo. My grandfather, who was a Shanachi storyteller, um, I think that's where I got um, a lot of the love of the, the language. It was all through Irish. Um, now I have this chance with Fergus and Keith to perform um, on stage, um, just to relive, I guess, all the, the stories and, and, the, and the history and, and so on. And we've seen you on the Children of Lear story. Yes. Yes, that was lovely. Um, It was cold. (laughs) It was a lovely day. I really enjoyed doing that. And do you also do some acting? I do. Um, I'm producer of the Mullet Drama Group in the so we've done a lot of plays over the years, Um, so
3: I have a, a great love for the stage. And if people want to get more information about it, where will they look?
5: Yeah, well, if people can go over to our Facebook page right now, so that's the Blacksod Bay eighteen sixty six Company on Facebook, and follow and like the page. Uh, we also have our own website, which is the Blacksod Bay eighteen sixty six Company dot ie, and um, you can stay up to date with us there on the page. It gives a b- Brief rundown on who we are, what we're doing, and there's also a selection of our videos there, which are normally posted to Facebook, but you can view them on YouTube there if you want. You know, you can also reach out and touch us via email, it's just uh, blacksodbay1866 at gmail.com. And just follow us on our social media, keep an eye out. We're in the very early stages of our development, but like I said, the next phase now, when we can, when COVID allows, is to roll out our presentation talk, the talk of the bay. So hopefully that'll be the next major thing we bring to the company. And, yeah, down the road, hopefully in a year or so, we'll be looking at getting our cultural centre open and being able to tell our story to the rest of the world and, indeed, bring in some other people from around the world with their maritime stories and showcase them as well. I
3: wish you the very best of luck with it. Thank you.
4: Thank you. The Black Bay 1866 Company, bringing our maritime
3: history and culture to life.
0: And thanks to Joanna McNicholas and that's it for seascapes for this week we're back at the same time next friday everything on the program is podcast it's on our website rte.ie slash seascapes if you want to contact me or the program the email is seascapes at rte.ie if you're lucky enough to be anywhere on or near the water over the next week stay safe
2: Seascapes is presented and produced by Fergal Keane.